Ryan McGee. You know, every week during the college football season, you track the worst teams in the nation. We call it the bottom 10, and I, for one, am an avid reader. So, you know, I was excitedly looking forward to who you would have in the so-called coveted fifth spot of your final rankings of the season. In true to form, I see it is the Ohio State Buckeyes. The coveted fifth spot is not the fifth worst team in the country. It's a good team that had a bad week. And if you're Ohio State, you really only need to win one game. And uh, and they did not take care of business against Michigan. McCord looks, fires, intercepted. And Michigan will win the game and head to the Big Ten Championship. Ryan Day's 1-3 against Michigan. And uh, back in the day, not that long ago, the knock on Harbaugh was he beat everyone except Ohio State. I call it the John Cooper rule. John Cooper took Ohio State to Rose Bowls, had Heisman winners, but he couldn't beat Michigan. And so uh, that's how you land in Dakota fifth spot. And their fan base, just like all the fan bases that land in the fifth spot, they have no idea. How can you be? We the fifth worst team in the country. <laughs> At SEC homer. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I get it. If you guys didn't get it by now, it's the fifth spot because hello, the power five conferences. But all I want to know, Ryan, is since your final column of the year came out before the selection committee picked its final playoff field, who do you think deserves that fifth spot right now? We all agree Florida State has a really, really great case to be in the uh, college ball playoff. Uh, Most would argue that they should be in the college ball playoff. But there's also a point where you stop telling everyone that you should be in the college football playoff because it's time to get ready for your bowl game. That's probably where they would land simply because I went to my neighborhood Christmas party last Saturday night and got cornered by the one guy in my neighborhood who went to Florida State. So that alone is enough to land you in the code of fifth spot. Many of college football's greatest oddities and most tortured fans typically sit towards the bottom of the rankings. But it is out of those ashes that tomorrow's charming Cinderella stories are born. So today, with the regular season officially behind us and bowl season on the horizon, our expert on the sport's most challenged programs, Ryan McGee, helps us review the 2023 season from a bottom-up perspective and looks back on some big programs who, for at least one week, may have felt like the bottom dwellers themselves. I'm Clinton Yates, kiddos. It's Thursday, December 14th. This is ESPN Daily. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, Wonderful Pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful Pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. 
Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. McGee, college football bowl season officially kicks off this weekend. Last year at this time, you gave us a salute to all the oddball bowl games out there. We will link to that in today's episode description, but it was a fun one, of course. But today, we're going to look back on the college football season through a different lens. So orient us here. How many years have you been writing your bottom 10 column for ESPN? I believe this was year 11. Um, It might have been year 12. In classic bottom 10 uh, style, we're not very good at math around here. Uh, And when I say we, I mean me. And so, yeah, but but Mark Schleyball handled it for a little bit. Our former editor, David Duffy, handled it for a little bit. But I took it over, and and everyone will tell you, especially my wife, I take it entirely too seriously. I don't know how much time those guys spent on it on a weekly basis. Let's just say I spent a lot of time in the darkest corners of the ESPN Plus app on a Saturday afternoon. And my wife is like, are you doing it again? I'm like, yeah. So all you guys out there that have been busted for like looking at something you're not supposed to look at at 1 o'clock in the morning, if my wife catches me on the laptop at 1 a.m., it's because I'm watching San Jose State. <laughs> oh, man. Ryan is huge in New Mexico, if you don't know that, for this reason. Where did the yeah. idea first come from? Well, it came from legendary uh, West Coast writer Steve Harvey. Uh, wrote for the LA Times, wrote for multiple, still, still blogs, and, and Steve, who I've never met, but his was simple, and it was syndicated. So even growing up in the Carolinas, I used to see the bottom 10. Like you Remember in the, in the, in the newspaper, you had the one page that had all the box scores, yep. right? It's got like the high school cross-country scores, and it's got like you know the betting lines before anyone really officially cared about that, and all these weird things. And then over in the corner would be the bottom 10. And so that's where it started. And again, it was just a simple list, and, uh, you know, typical me, I, I, I took it and uh, made it entirely too complicated, but it is what it is. By the way, it's worth noting the bottom 10 might be the only ESPN.com column with a Wikipedia page, which is yeah. high regards in this household. <laughs> but despite it being, you know, very tongue in cheek, the tone, is there any actual system? I mean, I know you said you're not good at math, but there has to be some level of consistency. How do you go about putting this together on any given Saturday? All right. So... First of all, you you kind of it's just like you know it's just like that hoity-toity you know top ten right. You, you have your preseason poll, and so leading into the year, you've done your research, and then once the game starts, it starts taking care of itself. But the bottom ten is so erratic. So like 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 New Mexico State beginning of this year, New Mexico State, the other Aggies as I call them, they have consistently been in the bottom 10 ever since I took this thing over a decade ago. And they started the year off with a couple losses. Like, all right, here we go. And then they basically didn't lose again the rest of the year. Pavia to the corner of the end zone. Caught. Touchdown, New Mexico State. Eli Stowers with the reception. And New Mexico State can start celebrating now. Outstanding victory, but a tough loss for Auburn. New Mexico State wins it 31-10. The best part of the bottom 10 is when you just send them away. Maybe they'll come back to you one day. Maybe not. But you just you send them out the door and pat them on the back and say, all right, we've prepared you for the real world. But the point of all that is, is that the system is primarily you go through the conference standings page on ESPN.com. You see where everyone is, and then you see how bad those losses were. And then you just, quite frankly, sometimes they'll make the cut for entertainment value. 
and 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 some of them won't because they're boring. And that's uh, you know, it's it's nuanced. And Captain Morgan whispers to me a lot. You should do this, and you should do that. You know, at one a.m. on a Monday night. <laughs> So let's go over some of these names because they are very funny. An obvious one, UMass, referring to UMass Amherst. Temple of Doom, obviously referring to Temple University, alma mater of my sister, actually. Acrimonious, which makes me laugh because I went to Miami of Ohio, who showed up at the bottom 10 a couple times. Miami, Miami of Ohio. Mid-American Just like you could order down to Denny's, right? And Rod Tidwell's alma mater. Which is yeah. a great reference to a fantastic movie. How much influence does the captain have on those names? A lot, because uh, I don't think it's probably nearly as funny uh, at 1 a.m. It, it's not nearly as funny at, at 1 p.m. the next day as it was when I came up with it at 1 a.m. My all-time favorite, and I'll never forget the moment I thought of this, was UT San Antonio. And, and UT San Antonio... UTSA, this is one of these programs that, again, they were in the bottom 10 forever. They won the bottom 10 at least once during my tenure. And now, I mean, they, they should have run the table two years ago. And now they're a line uh, perennial bowl team these days. No, no, every, every, every year. And so, but my all-time favorite was uh, ROCK in the UTSA, which was, uh, you know, obviously a John Cougar Mellencamp reference. And, uh, but I always, want, I kept waiting on his lawyers to reach out. But yeah, ROCK in the UTSA, that was my, that was what, that, that was one of the, when I did it, I announced to the house, I just came up with this, and my wife and daughter didn't even look up from their phones, but I thought it was hilarious. All right, let's get into this year's list. The heart and soul of the column is, of course, the coveted fifth spot, which you explained earlier. And when we went back and looked at the teams who earned that spot throughout this season, you see some of the bigger storylines of the year taking shape. So let's get a little closer into those teams. Let's start with your column after week seven. That week, the fifth spot went to USC, who entered the season as, I mean, a national title contender. Let's be honest. Caleb Williams was at the quarterback position, the presumptive Heisman favorite after having won it the year before. How exactly did the wheels come off in week seven for my Trojans out here? Yeah, well, it, it's, um, so they go to Notre Dame, right? And just get destroyed. Like it wasn't even, like the, the got hit upside the head with the golden shillelagh or whatever it is that they call it. And um and my my favorite thing to do with Kayla Williams and I'll, I'll say this so the, the kind of the, the the number one unwritten rule, but most important rule about the bottom ten is we don't we don't pick on individual players sure. right we don't pick on we'll pick on coaches all day we'll pick on programs all day we'll make fun of the uniforms we'll make fun of a play, but we usually don't call players out. I never used Kayla Williams' name. But I did refer to him quite frequently as the hamburger spokesman because I will say this. Part of the experience of if you're going to accept, you know, however many millions of dollars a year to do national television commercials, if you're hanging out at the Nissan Heisman house and you're selling Wendy's hamburgers while you're still playing college football, that's changed, right? I feel like it gives me a little bit of license, maybe not by name, but if I say the hamburger spokesman, then everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. USC went on to lose four of its next five games, finishing seven and five. They ended up firing their defensive coordinator. They could have lost that game at Colorado. How do I know? Because I was there. Do you think that's the fix here, getting a better defensive scheme in place? Or are there deeper problems for this Trojans historical program? Lincoln Riley is the quarterback whisperer. Everyone understands that. I mean, this is the first year he has not, he hadn't been to the Heisman final ceremony in forever because he didn't have a quarterback there. But the question is, at the end of the day, he's still an air raid coach. And the knock on air raid coaches forever 
whether it's Hal Mummy, whether it's the late great Mike Leach, whether it's Lincoln Riley, you just give me a, a, anyone. You know, e- even at the height of the air raid craze at Oklahoma with Bob Stoops back in the day, is can you play defense and can you win games not paying a whole lot of attention to, to playing defense? And so that's the question. And so as long as he adheres to that, uh, Lincoln Riley, then there's going to be problems. So yeah. But but the reality is that they've been exposed a little bit, and um and everyone has seen that. And uh you know as great as Caleb Williams is, the man could only do so much on his own. And the reality was it just was too much for him to take on by himself. Fun fact: we talked to Dave Wilson in our episode yesterday about the history of the air raid. So I appreciate you bringing that up, sir. Dave Wilson, who by the way um, is one of my favorite people on planet Earth, and what a great episode it was. And Dave. Dave was not, you're never going to have any problem filling time on this show with Dave. Hey, Dave, where do you get brisket in Texas? That, there's, that's, that's, that's a four-part episode of ESPN <laughs> Daily right there. All right, starting in week nine, we got to a stretch where schools from Oklahoma held the coveted fifth spot for three weeks in a row. What exactly happened there, Ryan? All right, so if you're Oklahoma and you don't take care of business against Kansas— but you're going to have the code of fifth spot. Kansas with Neal. Touchdown. A generational win for Kansas. Finally toppling Oklahoma. It is almost unprecedented that a team is in there two weeks in a row. But then if you follow up your loss to Kansas by losing the last at least for the foreseeable future edition of Bedlam against Oklahoma State, then, yeah, you're back in there again. Need a conversion to keep Oklahoma's hopes of a Big 12 title, international title, alive. On fourth down, Gabriel on the run, throwing, Stoops, juggling it, caught it, he's short. Oklahoma State's going to take over at Dallas and a minute away from winning the final Bedlam. And you take care of business in Bedlam and spend all week being paraded around Stillwater as the heroes of the state, and you follow that up with with getting just rolled by UCF, a 500 team at best. then yeah, that's how you end up in the code of fifth spot, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And I should have looked to see if maybe, I don't know, uh, there, there had to have been some Division II or, or FCS school from Oklahoma that had a bad week the next week. I should have just stuck them in there just to do it. Well, the irony there, of course, is that UCF themselves had earned the coveted fifth spot earlier in the season, really rubbing salt in the wound for I'm a man. Yeah. Mike Gundy for Okie State. So this was the swan song for this version of the Big 12 Conference as Texas and Oklahoma bolt for the SEC next year. That week six game between them was on the short list for the game of the year. The first three minutes were some of the most exciting I'd ever seen in college football. I think we all thought we were heading towards a rematch in the Big 12 title game, but Oklahoma didn't hold up their end of that bargain. Do you think we, as in all of us, college football fans, missed out on an opportunity there? 
Or was the Big 12 season an appropriate end to said era? All I cared about in the end, quite frankly, was that I just needed one of the two to get to the Big 12 championship game because uh, Commissioner Brand, still brand new Commissioner Big 12, Brett Yormark, made his infamous comments uh, speaking to the Texas Tech Booster Club leading into the season about, we need you to take care of business. And coach, I'm not going to put any pressure on you, but I'm going to be in Austin for Thanksgiving. Okay? And you better take care of business like you did right here in Lubbock last year. Okay? And what he was telling the Red Raiders was, we need you to make sure you keep Texas out of the conference championship game. And then when Texas rolled Texas Tech in the season finale to officially clinch their spot in the Big 12 title game, what did they do at DKR in Austin? They ran the video on the giant Texas-sized video screen of Brett Yormark telling Texas Tech they need to take care of business, followed by a big graphic that said, see y'all in Arlington for the Big 12 championship game. Brett's a friend of mine. I've known Brett and I worked together at NASCAR 20 years ago. Nice. But but that right there, as long as Texas got in simply so that we could have that moment, I really didn't care about the rest of it. Coming up, we'll take a look at a bottom 10 team who was on the list for reasons kind of, sort of, out of their control. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. McGee, the most curious case I think we saw on your bottom 10 this season was that of James Madison University, a.k.a. J. Maddie, if you're from that part of the world, a school in Harrisonburg, Virginia. This is one of those stories that some people may have been a little bit confused by. So could you please explain how the Dukes landed on your list after week 12? So James Madison was undefeated. They were uh, solidly in the top 25. College game day was on their campus. And all of this because the way that the rules are written by the NCAA and keep in mind, and I've said this on this podcast a thousand times, when I say the rules are written by the NCAA, the NCAA, though it's a monolithic you know, industry, they didn't write that. 
the membership wrote it. So th- th- this rule was written by the people who work in the sport. Like this all is this is a membership run organization. The NCAA just has to enforce this. So if you're making a transition from being an FCS school, which is what we used to call, you know, one double A, they left the one double A FCS level at the end of 2021 and made the jump to FBS, which is the, you know, the bowl group. This is the group that you all know, the big brand box deal. So they make the transition up. Well, as part of the rules, you have to wait two years to qualify for the postseason as you make your transition. It's a lot like the old transfer rules, where if you transfer from one school to another, you had to sit out for a year. Right, exactly. And so they basically have to sit out for two years. They get to play the games. They contend for whatever, but they just can't play in a postseason game. And they were really angry about that because they were undefeated, and they felt like they should have been higher in a top 25 and there's a lot of schools that we've beaten who are going to be in bowl games, and we don't get to go to a bowl game. And so game day goes to their campus. I wrote this kind of faux political ad thing that we ran on game day, you know, put James Madison in a bowl game and the whole deal. And then what did they do? They lost the game. They lost to their old faux App State that night. Trying to get to the end zone. Oh, let's see here. Is it a touchdown? It is. App State will win it. App State snaps the Duke's undefeated streak here in 2023. It's a little embarrassing. It's like it's like if you decided, if you were a singer and you decided you're going to have your own showcase, right? And no one shows up. Or you walk out there and you've lost your voice. Like you can't, you got to take care of your business. And so that's how James Madison, and I think we said so was James mad as son. Like that. That's how, that's how they landed, you know, in that coveted fist spot. Well, I, I know how you feel about how they sort of crash landed out of the spotlight, but this program has done quite a few things in their first two seasons in the FBS, no? No, it's amazing. It, what they've done is remarkable, and, and no one should take away from that. But I'll say this too. They knew what the rules were. And, you know, there are a lot of teams in their conference, in the Sunbelt Conference, which is a conference that I love and adore and have for a long time, but there are a lot of teams, App State, Marshall, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, all these schools who made that same transition and they had to play by those same rules and they had winning seasons and weren't allowed to play in a bowl game and had to watch other teams. So there was zero sympathy uh, from their opponents because they're all like, they knew the rules coming into it. So I get it. It's frustrating. But um, but again, those rules were written by the membership and you are a member. And so uh, you have to adhere to the policies. The Dukes ended up in a bowl game, though, right? Well, they ended up by default because there weren't enough six-win teams to fill all the bowl spots, which y'all go back and listen to the show we did a year ago. You'll hear how I feel about that. I got no problem with that. But, but yeah, so James Madison and Jacksonville State, the other Gamecocks, uh, they both <laughs> ended up in bowl games. But, yeah, you can catch James Madison in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl December 23rd. App State very famously taking down Michigan. Yep. Which most of you remember for the blocked kick that was one of the all-time college football highlights. Okay. Ryan, who do you think would be in the running for your title of favorite bottom 10 team of all time? All right. You know, and they're not in the bottom 10 any longer, and this is this is part of the experience. And I say this all the time, and it's the absolute truth. The greatest part of the bottom 10 experience is when a team has been on the list and then they turn the corner. 
when when a team that I have written about suddenly makes it to a bowl game. You know, when Texas State makes it to a bowl game, when, when UTSA makes it to double-digit wins, when one of these teams turns it around, it is honestly, I feel like, I feel like I'm a part of the deal. I was the sideline reporter, co-sideline reporter at the Myrtle Beach Bowl a couple years ago, and North Texas was in the game. And those guys, that coaching staff, they were like, we made it. I'm like, I'm like, you did make it. When Kansas hosted College Game Day a year ago, a guy showed up and stood right behind the desk with a sign that says, hey, Ryan McGee, we enjoyed it, but we're out of the bottom 10. That's the greatest. So I say all that to say this. My all-time favorite bottom 10 team is Georgia State, or as I refer to them, Georgia State, not Southern, because everyone wants to call Georgia Southern Georgia State, and no one call Georgia State Georgia Southern. They even have the same acronym, so it's a little confusing. But my first ever bottom 10 champions a dozen years ago, it was Georgia State. And a few years later, they made it to a bowl game. And now they, they bowl about every other year. But the athletic department sent me a care package. And, and they had a shirt made that said Georgia State, not Southern. And they sent it to me. And so they, they will always be because they were my first. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to pick your favorite child, but they were my first born. And so Georgia State will always be my favorite bottom 10 team, even though they're never in the bottom 10 anymore. All right, we have to end on this because when I look back at all the bottom 10 columns you wrote this season, Ryan, the one that caught my eye was after week two. Is there anything you might want to take back there, Mr. McGee? Yeah, so Florida State fans are going to enjoy this one. I had Alabama in there after week two. And this is how bad Alabama looked um, in that Texas game in week two, which quite frankly, I think is why Texas is in the college football playoff. And, uh, and they landed in the code of fifth spot. I never, Alabama had never been in there. Ohio State had been in there. Clemson had been in there. Georgia had been in there. Uh, Michigan had been in there. But Alabama had avoided it. But the reality was they got pushed around. I fly into the Birmingham airport about 12 times a year. In fact, I will later this week. And, uh, and, and all the way back from week two, I swear that guy, the gate agent there at the Birmingham Shuttlesworth Airport just waits on me to remind me that I have Alabama in the bottom 10 week two. Well, I appreciate it, Ryan. The bottom 10 is one of the greatest things that we do at this network, no doubt about it. And I just want to let everybody know, if you haven't seen the great Heisman race of 1997, there's a one second clip of young Ryan McGee oh, yeah. in the press conference where Peyton Manning is announcing that he's going to stay at Tennessee. I caught this with my own naked eye, Ryan, and I said it to you and it was actually you. It was me. It was, uh, it was uh, many years and many pounds ago, but there I was. There's other video of me too, like behind the scenes, but I don't, I don't share it a lot. It's like seeing Bigfoot. Thank you, Ryan. You're the man, Clint. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.